Welcome back to the Traders Point Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. Each week, we open up the Bible for just a few minutes and discuss God's Word together. We discuss its meaning and the ways in which we can apply it in our walk as followers of Christ. If you'd like more information about the Traders Point Church of Christ, you can visit our website at traderspointchurch.org, and you can follow us on Facebook and YouTube as well. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please take just a second to do that so you can stay up to date on all of the content that's put out on this channel. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy today's conversation. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. We want to thank everyone for joining us again this week. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 11 this week. We've had a couple of long chapters back-to-back with a lot in them. This chapter, not quite as long, but still has a a lot of very uh, important teaching and very important actions from Jesus as he begins to make his way to Jerusalem. So before we get into the meat of this chapter, again, because as we begin chapter 11, uh, they are coming into Jerusalem, marking a significant time for Jesus as as he really begins to near uh, the time in which he's going to be put to death. And so, Jeremy, maybe just catch us up to where we are at the beginning of chapter 11. Uh, What's been going on over the past couple of chapters that kind of brings us to where we are at the beginning of chapter 11? Yeah, I mean, chapter 11, Jesus is on the move. And and it's interesting, you know, the way that Mark, you know, kind of tells that story. He does a really good job. He has done a good job everywhere of of giving us even geographical pieces about the movements of Jesus. And he'll continue to do that here where it seems as Jesus is in and out of Jerusalem and Bethany, you know, several different times. Um, you know, it, 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 Jesus has been, you know, with his disciples, and he's been, you know, ministering for, you know, some time. It, you know, it's easy for us at the very beginning to say, you know, Jesus has, you know, he's at the beginning, he's got a few years, you know, then, you know, there's a time in which he's got, a, you know, a, a year left and a, a, some time where he's got mm-hmm. months left and then mm-hmm. some times where he's got weeks left and, and there are times in which he has days left yeah. before the crucifixion and we're nearing to that point here in Mark chapter 11 where there's not years or there's not months or there's not weeks even left. We, we are nearing the days left scenario. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and that comes into play. I mean, the, his apostles are right there with him. Uh, Jesus is moving with urgency, um, at times, uh, you know, aggressive. Uh, certainly we mm-hmm. see, you know, him in the temple here. Yep. And you know maybe urgency is the is the best use. He is moving with urgency, and we see a massive change in the crowd mm-hmm. from certainly the very beginning of Mark chapter eleven to ultimately where the crowd will be at the cross. A very very quick shift from multitudes of people surrounding him and following him the entirety of his ministry, and we've talked at length about it. You know here as we've studied in Mark to where now we'll be days away from the multitudes being completely gone yeah. and turned completely against him. And really, we're peaking here in, in, you know, in this section, and people leave very, very quickly. Yeah, it, it is telling. When you think about Jesus and his ministry, there is oftentimes an association to Jerusalem because of his death and, and where all that took place in and around Jerusalem. But for most of Jesus' ministry, he was not in Jerusalem. In fact, there is almost an intentional avoidance of Jerusalem 
for much of his ministry. Not not all of it, certainly, but for much of it. He spent most of his time up in Galilee right. and in regions around there. He did not spend a lot of time in Jerusalem. And one of the reasons is because it was a very dangerous place for him. Jerusalem was where the Pharisees kind of had their home base, and they were the ones that were most active against him and in pursuing him. And so Jerusalem represented not only a place of opposition, but a place of danger. And so for him to come to Jerusalem now, that is a very clear signal that he is intentionally entering into the lion's den, so to speak. He's coming to meet these people head on. Obviously, he's told his disciples three times now at least that are recorded for us what's going to happen when he comes to Jerusalem. And so he knows what the ultimate outcome is going to be. He is prepared for that. Uh, but this is no small thing for Jesus to walk into Jerusalem at the beginning of chapter 11 because he knows what happens when he goes there. Yeah, and you know, he's he's so aware of everything that, you know, that goes on. Even the story that happens at the very beginning of, of chapter 11 yeah. it is you know, it, it, we get to, you know, very quickly when he, he is on, you know, he's on the donkey and it, and people are are praising him you know, with uh, with a phrase like Hosanna, but even at the very beginning, his understanding of of what's going on and and of the situation, and even his knowledge base is put on display here. Mm-hmm. When you know he he is so specific here of you know this is where the animal is going to be. This yeah. is wh- it's going to be tied up in this place. It's going to be there waiting for you. Go in there and get yeah. it and bring it to me. And it's just you know his knowledge of this situation is so acute. Mm-hmm. I mean and and again you're right. We can't lose sight of what this situation is. He is aware crucifixion is imminent for yeah. sure, but not just imminent. It is immediate almost. I mean we are coming up on it and he is very aware of that. And he is not shying away from Jerusalem. No. I think your point is good. He he's not shying away from Jerusalem. He's in. And he's not hiding in Jerusalem. He's at the temple with issues, yeah, right? right? I mean, so he's come to them. He's come to them, and you know, it's very telling of his full grasp of the situation and the timing of the situation, and really, ultimately, the teaching still that needs to take place—not yeah. just for his apostles, but for any of his disciples who are around. You know, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, close, close personal friends of his. Uh, in the Bethany area, certainly they are in and around him, you know, at this time, and he's spending a lot of time in Bethany, mm-hmm. very close to Jerusalem. Right. And, and this chapter has him kind of going back and forth from there, really, a couple of times. Yeah, it is interesting. Before we leave the the entrance into Jerusalem, you mentioned how as he comes into Jerusalem, so many around him are are praising him and they're crying out, "Hosanna!" They're they're quoting from Psalm one eighteen that. It's really interesting to me. Hosanna means, please save me, essentially is what it means. And to think about what that would have looked like for so many as Jesus the Messiah is coming into Jerusalem, and there are so many emotionally crying out to Jesus, please save me. These people get it. Like These people understand who he is, and so many still don't. So many today still don't, but these people get it, and it really, it must have been a very emotional experience for Jesus as well, 
to just see this on display and to see the impact of his teaching, the impact of the miracles that he's performed and all that he has done on the hearts of these people as he comes into Jerusalem and they know who he is and they recognize that he is the one that can save them. It's really a moving scene uh, to think about unfolding. Yeah, and I think it really showcases too, even though there is a reality to it, uh, certainly for us, we have a clearer understanding of having everything Scripture sitting in front of us. But it, just the sheer under, misunderstanding of Jesus and his role for a lot of people at this time, you know, thinking that he's coming into Jerusalem and uh, there's going to be some physical uprising or, you know, some, you know, setting us apart from, you know, the Roman Empire in some capacity. And when that doesn't happen, it, people are just off of that, you know, yeah. so very, very quickly. But yet at the same time, we could take a passage like this and understand the spiritual connection of this and, and certainly be, um, you know, praising him and, mm-hmm. and, and crying out to him in the exact same way. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's talk, let's stay in Jerusalem. Let's stay in Jerusalem. We'll, we'll kind of pick up this the story of the fig tree. At least, it, you know, it's kind of broken up a little bit in the text here. But let's stay in Jerusalem, and let's talk about Jesus cleansing the temple. Uh, This is a a very uh, interesting story. As Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and he goes to the temple, the the house of his father, uh, a temple that obviously Jesus, as any Jew would, knows the history of this and, and why it was built and the purpose that it was built. And he walks in. And it looks like he's walking into Walmart or a flea market or something. I mean, it's just a place of business, essentially. There's people standing around, and they're selling things for that can be offered as sacrifices. They're, it's a place to make money. It's a place to do business. And it sickens Jesus because he knows what the temple's supposed to be. He knows the purpose that God had given it to the people. And, and he understandably is is furious about this, and he's not going to stand for it. And he takes a very strong stance as, you know, he drives them out. But when you think about Jesus just understanding so clearly what the temple is supposed to be and then seeing what it has become, it must just break his heart and drive him crazy to think uh, that the people have lost sight of what the temple was supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, you know, you study the other Gospels, and certainly John's Gospel, who moves, you know, at a little bit stricter chronology yep. than the others. It's very possible that this is the second time that this yep. occurred, that he has, he's done something like this, yep. very similar to this, you know, at another time. And I think he does it then and makes a similar point, but also uses that to make an additional point. But here the point just seems to be, that you know, you know this. The temple is is a, is a place of prayer. It's a place of worship, and you have turned it into a a, a marketplace, and not even an honest one, right? Yeah. Not even there's not even honest business that's going on here, and, and you know he is sickened by it, and you know it's listen. He's aggressive. He's urgent in the way that he deals with it, and he is bothered, and he is sickened by you know what he sees. And it becomes, listen, we made the point already, he's in Jerusalem at the temple. I mean, he's out in front of everybody, you know, now. And um, 
he's got a lot of heat. I mean, a lot of heat on him now. And the heat only ratchets up here Mm -hmm. as he he goes through this and he makes this point. It would have been an embarrassment, a shameful thing for the the scribes and the priests who were there making money in this, uh, you know, ungodly way. And then the text tells us that, you know, there in verse 18, you know, the scribes and the chief priests heard it and they sought how they might destroy him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and ultimately that's what they do. And they, and they oh. get to it pretty quickly. But, you know, it, it really paints a picture that, you know, here, even though they've really been trying to cause problems for him, they're looking to put an end to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they're, they're pretty adamant about that here. Well, and they're doing so because Jesus isn't just some random person off the street anymore. This is a guy who they know. They've been following him. They've sent people long distances to keep an eye on him, to listen to him. They know the multitudes of people that he's drawing every time he teaches. He's not some random guy off the street. They've already got a bullseye on his back. And so now when they see and hear this, they know they've got to do something because this guy can cause major problems for them. And he now he's not some guy up in Galilee that they're hearing about. Now he's on their front doorstep, and they've got to do something. They've got to make this stop. Otherwise, he's going to cause major problems for them, for their business, for their money, for their influence, all of those things. And so that's ultimately what's going to lead them to try to, to put a stop to this and ultimately kill him. Yeah, and Jesus knows that. I mean, he knows this is where all of it is heading. And, and even though he he know there's a lot of heat here in Jerusalem, I think Mark again he does such a good job throughout the, his gospel, but really here in chapter eleven of, of painting the picture of Jesus's movements. Mm-hmm. He's in Jerusalem. It would have been a very public thing that has occurred here. But he's not staying in Jerusalem. And so yeah. Mark, at the end of that little story, lets us know that he, he's back out. He's back out of the city. And, and then, and then he'll, uh, he'll move back, you know, it kind of into the city on the mm-hmm. next day. Yeah, so we, we pick up this story then that really began in verse 12. So as you mentioned, Bethany is just outside of Jerusalem. It would have been very easy for them to travel back and forth between the two. And that seems to be what they were doing here. And so he had, while in Bethany, had come across a fig tree, and and earlier on in the chapter, he had said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again, because he found that it had nothing but leaves on it. He was hungry, and it it didn't offer the figs that he was wanting, and so no one's ever going to eat from it again. They come by that tree again, and that tree has withered up, and it's all dried up from the roots. And it's so obviously everybody was there with him and heard him say that the day before, and now here it is, dried up, withered. And so that brings attention to it. And Peter was the first one to say, hey, look, this fig tree that you cursed, it withered away. And so Jesus, as he always does, when opportunities like this arise, he takes this opportunity to teach. He takes this opportunity. It's not about this fig tree. This little fig tree, you know, it's not what this is about, but... It takes he takes the opportunity to make a point about their faith, and again, it's just remarkable as you watch and and read through Jesus's teaching how every opportunity that's presented to him he finds a way to make profound points and statements around. Yeah, and it it, it it's his his power always his purpose. I mean, he has unlimited power, unlimited power, but his power always has purpose, and so. You know, maybe it would have been easy for them to see, well, you know, he's showcasing, you know, he's hey, he's talking to that tree. Well, I mean, he's talking to the tree, right? <laughs> and so when the next day when they when they see that tree and it's all withered up, 
you know, now they're like, man, that's the tree you were talking to. And Jesus makes the point that, you know, let's not be so wrapped up into the power, but there's a purpose behind it. And he makes the point about your faith and, and, and ultimately about his power, right, that, we, that it can be tapped into. That, you know, through, through prayer, through faith, if you want mountains to be moved, they can be moved. And so he, he's painting a picture that, yeah, I, I'm, I, am, I carry unlimited power, and having a relationship with me taps into that unlimited power. It's incredibly faith-building, um, you know, the point that he makes. And you're right, it, it, just, from this fig, just from the fig tree, he makes yeah. one of the most profound of points, you know, of encouragement uh, of, you know, of our relationship with him. And it's interesting that, you know, as he kind of concludes this idea about praying, and if you believe, then you'll receive what it is that you're praying for. In verse 25, he makes the point that there is something that can short-circuit that, that if you are praying, but you have something against your brother and you haven't forgiven them, then you need to stop and do that first. You need to make sure that, that you forgive as your Father in heaven forgives you, because that, as he's made a point in other places as well, that can be a hindrance to your faith. And, and so this this idea of forgiving is it's almost like a footnote on this teaching, but it's very important to recognize that holding something against our brother can actually short-circuit the power of prayer that is being offered to God in faith. And so we need to take very seriously anything that we have against one another and use the motivation of God forgiving us uh, to forgive one another. Yeah, you see, you know, as Jesus's life is kind of coming to a close, you know, here on earth, I mean, everything is being done with purpose. I mean, everything's always has been done with purpose, but you really start, you know, to see it. His power is being done with purpose. His teaching is being done with purpose. And, and even his movement is being yeah. done with purpose. One, you know, I was just thinking, Jesus, as we were sitting here and, you know, I was kind of looking ahead, you know, just a little bit, you know, you paint the picture, and Mark is painting the picture of, you know, days here. He was, mm-hmm. you know, in Bethany, and they spent the day in Jerusalem. They go back to Bethany. They're coming back to Jerusalem, and they, they pass this fig tree. And, and now that they're back in Jerusalem, after he has overturned and made a ruckus at the temple, but you have there in verse 27, you know, they came again to Jerusalem, and he was walking in the temple. I mean, that's, that's right where he goes. He, he goes right back to where all of the issues and problems were, and he's ready to engage with everyone, you know, now verbally engage with everyone, where he was physically engaging with everyone just the day before. Yeah, and they essentially ask him, like, what gives you the right to do this? I mean, why? what gives you the right to come in here and to do this? And so Jesus asks them a question in return, and he asked them about the baptism of John, whether it's from heaven or from men. And this is really interesting because when the Pharisees are thinking about this, and they're thinking about the question that Jesus asks, they're not arguing or debating one another about what the right answer is. They don't care what the right answer is. They're just trying to figure out how do we respond in just the right way. We don't want the mob to to turn on us, but you know we can't say this because then that would make you know, Jesus out to be somebody we don't want him to be. How, you know, they're not interested in the right answer. And I think that is a really important point to, to make when we consider this. Jesus is not going to debate these men because they're not interested in, in coming to a clearer understanding of the truth. He already knows what their intentions are and what their motives are. 
they have no interest in the truth. Jesus is not going to waste his time debating these men. He has more important things to do. His time is limited. He has important things to do, and sitting here arguing with the Pharisees over this is not what rises to the, the degree of priority right now. And so he, he very is, is acutely aware that this is not where I need to be spending my time, and that's why he's not even going to answer him. He's not even going to give him an answer here. Yeah, it's, it's funny almost that he just kind of throws this question back in him, back at him, knowing that they're going to struggle with this question for a while. And, and you know, it's just like I'm going to toss this question back in there and just move it along yeah. because you're. This is not anything that you're going to be honest about, no. anyways. And, and you know, the text tells us that you know they're they're working it out and they're coming to that realization that you know it, 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 we can't say we can't say either one because yeah. you know it goes against both sides of of what we're trying to do. And, and it, it, to your point, Jesus is it, it, I don't have time for this. I've got other things that need to be done and other people that I need to talk to that, that's going to listen, right. that's going to be open. You're not listening. You're not open. And so there's just not going to be any time spent uh, with you at all. He, he's told them already multiple times yeah. by what uh, authority he's operating yeah, with. Right. This is He has answered that in a multitude of different ways. Uh, but, you know, here he's just, he's just not, he's not engaging. Yeah, this goes all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, this has been something that they've been arguing about for now years. And so, yes, this is not a new topic of conversation. This is one that Jesus has clearly addressed, and he sees a need to move on from this. Well, that brings us to the end of chapter 11. So as Jeremy pointed out, things are moving quickly as we begin to near the end of of Mark and and certainly near the end of of Jesus' life, and we'll pick up in chapter 12 next week, and we hope you'll join us for that.